Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week, we did the first section of chapter 24. Today, we are going to wrap up chapter 24. What does the rest of 24 have to offer, George? Well, A.B. Bruce decided to divide chapters 13 through 16 of the Gospel of John into the Savior's counsel and his uh, comforting words to his closest uh, companions, those disciples that followed him. And the second section, today's uh, section, is their questions. Uh, they have specific questions, and they interrupt him during his discourse. And, of course, as a, as a patient teacher, uh, he answers those questions sort of in, in line as they ask them. But what A.B. Bruce has done is has divided the second section into answering the questions and Jesus, his answers to their questions. And then, of course, his final uh, what uh, A.B. Bruce describes as his adieu, his final farewell uh, to his disciples. Yeah, how dare they ask God questions, right? You know, sometimes we, we get this idea, and I'm guilty of it, that, oh, I don't need to ask questions. But here we have an example of the apostles with Jesus not understanding and asking questions. And exactly, we're going to get into the answers here in a minute, but that's exactly it. We need to ask questions. So we can get the answers, and then we need to seek the answers after we've asked the question. But it's not a bad thing to ask questions at all. Yeah, if you ever get in the mindset that, well, I know it all, or I've heard it all before, so I don't have to hear it again, uh, that those, those are, that's a dangerous mindset to get yourself into. Uh, even the disciples here, like we're going to get into, they've been with Jesus this entire time, and Jesus has been teaching and ministering to them uh, directly in person uh, and they still have questions. Like you're saying, Kevin, don't be afraid to ask questions and dig a little deeper and and, and seek the answer uh, because Jesus is right there ready to give it. And just like he is to these disciples, uh, he's going to give it to you as well. And if you don't have a question, maybe you're not seeking. Maybe you're stagnant in your search. That's something, too, that just popped in my head while you were talking about that. So if you don't have questions, maybe you need to go look for questions. <laughs> And God can handle questions. He wants us to use the brains that we have. He said, I've, I've created you this way, and he can handle questions. What we can't ask him is, are you doing the right thing? <laughs> he will always do the right thing, but we can ask every other question, and so don't be afraid. So I'm glad you guys mentioned that right up front. And it's interesting that when Jesus begins this discourse toward the end of chapter 13, after he dismisses uh, Judas and he goes on to his dark you know, dastardly deed of, of uh, betraying the master. Now Jesus can speak openly and freely. He begins with this new commandment that you love one another. I want you to be of one force, not 11 different forces, but I want you all together in this. Peter immediately interrupts. <laughs> but where are you going? <laughs> you say you're leaving, but where exactly? And so it's kind of interesting that Peter, of course, is the first one, and it only takes, in our, in our verses, he's only you know, allowed Jesus to speak for four or five verses before he interrupts him with the first question. So, Lord, where are you going? And if, if I know, then I can go with you. And that's kind of Peter's mindset. And I love it that, that Peter interrupts immediately, and Jesus has to immediately respond. Yeah, and we see, you know, Peter, his his brashness here, his uh, kind of, I, you know, I don't want to use the word arrogance, uh, but just kind of, if only I knew where you were going, Lord, I'd be right there with you. You know, I'm, I'm going to be following you. Just tell me where you're going. And I can see that in, in Peter's uh, character here. He just is waiting for Jesus to tell him what to do because he's ready to just do it immediately. And so a uh, really great, uh, you know, character uh, personality that Peter has here. Again, obviously he doesn't really know what he's asking. <laughs> he's, he's missed the kind of the point of what is happening here. Jesus is going to be transforming into a, uh, a spiritual uh, 
being. He's no longer going to be a, a here with them physically, and so he doesn't really under, quite understand what he's asking and what he's talking about here, but he's he's ready and willing. He's ready to follow Jesus no matter what. And I just always relate to him and his willingness to just jump right in and then be like, oh, wait, what did I just get myself into? And, of course, he does it again, right? We see that. And he thinks, and the, the point of this that really strikes me is he thinks he can do it. So he wants to interrupt Jesus to be like, hey, I can follow you wherever you are going. I have the ability to do this. And Jesus immediately tells him, no, you don't. In fact, you're going to deny me. And, you know, Peter, of course, well, of course I will not do that. He's still, he's putting everything that he has the power to do it. He's about to learn the hardest lesson there is, is that we ourselves have no power. We have no ability to do anything on our own. We need God working in us. And so as Jesus answers Peter immediately, and Peter responds even without thinking, it's, it's as if he is not listening at all. And it's, it's like your children as they're growing up and you think, man, are they even paying any attention at all? <laughs> and Jesus is looking at these guys and he's thinking, are, are you guys even listening? And here Peter uh, mentions or, and declares, I will die for you. And when, when I read this, every time I, I think of, of the advice uh, that uh, an ancient king of Israel uh, once gave uh, to those individuals that were making braggadocious comments. He would say something to this effect. He says, let not him uh, boast as the one taking off his armor does, but the, as the one putting on his armor. And you think about that for a second. The one guy going into battle can boast and boast and boast, but the guy coming out of battle that's the one you listen to. And here Peter is looking into the future and he sees himself as this great hero, you know, laying down his life for his master, which is great. That's a, a, a noble thought. But Jesus sees exactly what's going to happen when the battle actually begins. And it's not Peter dying for Jesus, it's Peter running away in terror. Uh, and it's like this uh, flash of lightning, and it's like it, it'll hit. And Peter, as we see, as, the, as the, you know, the account unfolds, Peter does, in fact, run away and deny Jesus and try to distance himself from Jesus. And then one of the uh, gospel writers says, and as soon as he did this three times, he denied Jesus three times, Jesus looked at him and caught his eye. Somehow he could see over that fire and see him out there in the marketplace, and it broke Peter's heart. And you see this brave disciple, he's going to play the coward, and it's going to be disruptive in his life. And he becomes separated from the one that he claims that he'll never leave. Oh, the, the pain. And I love in our, uh, our search for God, the material that we present in the jails here every week, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we teach these, these men and women that are in jail, we say there's a difference between Judas and Peter. Judas gave up, but Peter got up. Yeah, and you, I wonder, you know, I, obviously Jesus knows everything that's, that's happening. He can see into the, into the future there. But I wonder if he's, 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 Jesus is seeing this and making that comparison in his mind almost immediately when Peter is asking this question, where are you going? I, I want to follow you. And then, you know, Jesus answers, will you? Will you follow me? Knowing that He's going to fail, but Peter does need that uh, humility check. <laughs> he's he's got a he's got a pride problem, probably got an arrogance problem there, uh, and a foot and mouth <laughs> disease problem. He's got all sorts of issues here, and AB Bruce kind of uh, sums it up nicely. It's like this is this is kind of the 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 focal point in Peter's spiritual walk. This event, him denying Jesus, and then 
seeing Jesus there and catching eyes and then thinking back to this conversation and then making the decision to get up and then return to the master and not just abandon all hope like Judas Iscariot does. And you see the similarities between the two here, but Peter really needs that humility check. He he needs it to then continue in his spiritual walk and then being a, a good leader and an apostle of the early church there. This is a requirement for him. And so when, when Jesus answers and says, will you do this? Well, in the short term, no. But in the long term, yeah, Peter's going to do it. He's going to uh, be good on his word here, saying, I'm going to follow you. And it plays out in his life as we see it in the rest of the New Testament. In the ultra marathon world, younger runners are not as good or have a higher percentage of finishing as the older runners do. And so like you were talking about George, as far as bragging about taking off your armor before you've actually gone into battle, like whatever saying you say, I'm not going to try to repeat it, but we just went over that, right? How you have to first go into battle before you have the resolve, right? To be able to talk about it, going into it before you've actually experienced any of it. It's easy to say, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this. It's going to be no problem. Going back to the runners, I've had several younger runners come up to me like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm shooting for this. I'm going to do that. And it's like, uh-huh. You just shake your head and smile and look at them like, no, you're, there's no possible way you're going to do that. And then it plays out and they don't do that, right? Because they haven't had the experience and the resolve to be able to, you know, weather the storm of the event. Same thing with Peter. He has every intention to be there but he doesn't have the resolve yet. And it has to come through suffering. It has to come through pain. And there is a purpose to it. Take that to our lives. We have to go through suffering. We have to go through pain. We have to be able to have the resolve to every time get better and better and to have more strength to rely more on God than ourselves. And that's what Peter's experiencing now. And it is not an easy task to have to go through that. And so as the... The comfort and the counsel continues. Jesus tries to reassure them, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes into his discourse and this counsel, and then he's interrupted again. But this time it's, it's Philip. And Philip uh, asks, or excuse me, Thomas is the, is the one in, in verse 5. Philip is verse 8. But verse 5, Philip, or Thomas says to, to Jesus, Lord, uh, where we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? I mean, uh, of all the things that Jesus is going to say, you are going to follow me. This is how it's going to be, and I'm I'm setting the example here. And and Philip or Thomas makes this. I keep saying Philip. Thomas makes this question. And what do we know Thomas for? What's uh, what's the one moniker that we always hang on Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Lord says we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And you can almost you can almost see the 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 wind come out of the sails with Jesus because it's almost like I've been with you for three and a half years and now and you're still hopeless. You're still in this mood of you don't have any concept. And that's the question. That's your question, Thomas. You don't know where I'm going? Of all the questions. It's, it's, it must have been just so disappointing for Jesus to, to look at Thomas and say, well, I am the way. That's, that's the definition. That is the map. That is, that's how you know. And you should know this by now. Uh, and so Thomas is exaggerating the darkness. His, his mood is dark. But, of course, it would be because Jesus has just announced that he's going away and they're they're not really sure what to make of it. And so Thomas is, is heavy-hearted, and he, he asks the question. And Jesus, again, has to respond immediately just to shore up the faith of this one, this one Thomas, who we now know, or we all call him, this doubting Thomas. And yet here he is and has this, this mood, this melancholy, uh, hopelessness, all, all kind of wrapped up in this question. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus responds, I am the way.
Man, I'm, I'm, we, we kind of rag on, or rag on Thomas here for kind of being a, a doubter, but I'm glad he asked the question because this is one of the most famous responses, uh, one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture here, John chapter 14, verse 6, I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It, it shows the exclusivity of Christianity. It, it shows that the only way uh, to enter into the presence of the Father is through Jesus Christ. He has the truth. He has the life. He is the way. And so our responsibility is to follow him and there's no other way uh, to get into the presence of God in any in a, in, a, in a glorified state. It's impossible without Jesus. And so, I'm glad Thomas asked the question uh, because we get a definitive response from Jesus Christ Himself, telling us how to get to the Father. It's through the Son, and it's not convoluted. It's not, you know, beating around the bush. It is direct and to the point. Thomas asks, how do we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. Follow me. Boom. Yeah, and we give him such a hard time for being a a doubter. Is it really worth being, you know, such a hard time for? Or is it maybe that he wanted to make sure that he wasn't falling into a trap, right? Maybe we should have more of that mindset of, I need to make sure that I'm asking the questions, I'm looking for the answers, and I'm making sure that what I do and how I worship God and how I seek him is in truth. And that's what I believe Thomas was trying to do, make sure that he stayed in truth. And he didn't just hop right in like Peter does and, you know, I'll do whatever. Yeah, I'm in. He's like, oh, well, let's ask some questions, make sure that this is actually what it's supposed to be. And so in his response to Thomas, and as Alec mentioned, this is the, a classic. And, and people that memorize scripture, this is one of those that people memorize. And people have this in their, in their repertoire. They, they understand this answer uh, more than any other answer that, that Jesus has ever, ever said in these three chapters. And you think about the way that it's divided up, the way Jesus says this. He says, I am everything you need everything mankind needs for eternal salvation. I am the only Savior. And this will satisfy the question from Thomas. Is is it light that you want? Then I am the one that will reveal that light. I am the way to the Father. Is it, uh, is it reconciliation? Do you want a, a, a way back to God? I am that reconciler. I am the only way back to God. Is it life? I am life, Jesus says. And of all the things that you think about as far as uh, the answer to Thomas and Jesus, the way he says, the way, the truth, the life, this then becomes our response. How do we know the way? Jesus says, it's me. If you know me, you know the Father. There is eternal life. There is life available for you. And look to me for this light. Look to me for this reconciliation. Look to me for this eternal blessedness. And I love how A.B. Bruce describes this light. And it's, it's like this if, if you think about the Old Testament into the New Testament into the, and you divide it into theology the way he describes the light of creation. And you think about when we look out at the world and it's the starlight of theology. What makes trees grow and what, what makes fish swim and, and those things that we see in nature. Well, that's just the glimmer of our belief in God. And then there's this providence that we start to see God's hand moving in among uh, nations and among people. And we see that is the moonlight. And then finally, Jesus arrives, and he is the sunlight. And that's with a U and with an O, the sunlight in the world. And he has brought the message of God into light. And so we go from a very dim view of God because we look into the heavens, we say, that's it's so big, there has to be somebody or something 
bigger than that. And then we look at the moonlight. We see that uh, there's been information given, and we see how he interacts with individuals and nations throughout time. And then Jesus arrives on the scene, and he makes this claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to get to the Father, you come through me. Like you said, this is one of the most quoted verses in Scripture, and it is so vitally important uh, as Christians and as just people in general that we have an understanding of that truth. Uh, it's it's something that's been revealed to us, like you did, you were talking about, Dad, from from the Old Testament, throughout nations, throughout all time, through through all of this. Uh, how do I receive salvation? You know that that's the question everyone asks. You know, if you go to someone and ask, "Are you gonna Are you going to heaven?" and what's one of the most common responses is, "Well, I hope so." You know, I I hope I do. And it's like, well, what is Jesus saying here? There is a definitive path to God. It is through Jesus Christ. That is how we get there. Uh, and there's no question about it. It's a Thomas, with his question, there's some doubt, there's some despair, there's some confusion, but Jesus definitively, definitively uh, responds with, this is how you get where I'm going. You follow me. And that's the key to Christianity. <laughs> I mean, that that's it. If we want to get where Jesus is going, where Jesus says, I I go to prepare a place for you. I I've have this stuff designed especially for you. I, I've, I've come to the earth to sacrifice myself to rescue you so that you can follow me, and then I'm going to do all the stuff beforehand. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to do all of these. That way you can follow in my footsteps. You will die, but you will be resurrected, and you will come to me in glory if you follow me because I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the only one that has the life in the Father. And so, hugely pivotal statement in Christianity. And it brings it back to the basics of what it is, Christianity. Like you said, following Christ. The problem is, is we find ourselves looking at so many human things. Like, oh, well, what about this? What about that? Look at buildings, look at names, look at this, this, that. We get our human tendencies, creatures of habits, traditions, Sacraments, all these different things all mixed up, but what does it really boil down to? Following Christ. And we have the playbook right in front of us. We can read it and we can follow him. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. And this book, you know, Training of the Twelve, A.B. Bruce is trying to write to help us grow as spiritual leaders. And then what does Paul later say in in his letters there? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, you know, you go back to that statements that Paul makes, and you go, well, how arrogant can Paul be? And you know, it's like, this is what he's telling Thomas, Jesus is telling Thomas to do right now. You imitate me, therefore others can follow you, because I am the way. You know, and so it's like you have this repeated pattern all throughout the New Testament, and we still do the same thing today to where we can train our children and those that we have influence over to look to, you know, our spiritual leadership and say, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. And if, you know, if, if, if dad can do it, anybody can do it. You know, it's like, <laughs> you wonder why he still feels like he's talking to children, even on this podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's because you want to stop doing that. Well, <laughs> the shoe fits. No, <laughs> But we have this, you know, that mentality, and it's it all comes back to this statement that Jesus makes in response to Thomas's question, and it's a very comforting question. I mean, a very comforting answer to a, a question of doubt and fear in Thomas's, you know, his mind at the moment, but Jesus responds definitively, this is how it gets done, you follow me. And then that leads to another question and it's fascinating to think that all of these just kind of seem to roll uh right along with uh you know with the the uh, answers that jesus giving the counsel and the comfort all of this flows so well and now philip says okay 
if that's the case, you're the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If that's true, then just show us the Father. Let's just lay it out there. Just show us the Father. And of all the things to aspire to, this is really where we're going. That's, that's where these disciples see themselves going. They say, we, we want to be there. We want to see the Father. And it's fascinating to think that Jesus must have looked again in disbelief and to think, here, you've been here listening and learning for these three and a half years. You've watched all the works, all the miracles, all the wonders, all the teachings, the, the parables, the sermons, everything, and you still don't get the connection. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And of all the things that we should aspire toward is to know more about Jesus in order to see the Father. Yeah, and unfortunately, this question is still being debated today. Uh, you know, I see responses on uh, on the internet and other videos and other things like saying, like, where in the Scripture does Jesus ever claim to be God? You know, they, they make this argument that, Jesus always said that the, the Father is God and Jesus is not God, and therefore if you're a Christian, you, you, you worship a pantheon of gods. There's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three separate gods, and you know this is a, a constant attack on Christianity. And then they say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. It's like, well, if he, <laughs> you're not reading the Scripture then. If, you're, if you don't see where Jesus is actually claiming to be God over and over and over again— then you're, you're missing the point. And this is exactly what Jesus' kind of response to Philip's question here is, have you not seen it yet? I and the Father are one. We are the same. Uh, it is, I am God, Jesus is saying. Uh, and if you see me, you've seen the Father. Your question, Philip, is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> you, you have missed the point. You've missed... All the miracles that I've been forming, all the teachings that I've been doing, all the prophecy that I've been fulfilling, all these things that point to me as being the Messiah, Jesus is saying, is proof and evidence over and over and over again, overwhelmingly, that I am who I say that I am, who is God, and we are one. Uh, and so if we see Jesus, we see the Father. And so if we're following Jesus, we are following God. Uh, and that is, the, again, a, a major key point to Christianity that at this point in the disciples' spiritual walk, Philip hadn't yet seen it yet. He's still, I believe, thinking physically uh, because Jesus will talk of his Father uh, who is in heaven, uh, and he just can't wrap his mind around, you know, the the, manif the physical manifestation of God in the flesh. He doesn't quite get that yet, uh, but he will, uh, but there's, and it is a confusing concept, because how can God be both spirit and a physical body, and all these things all at the same time, when it's like, well, it's hard for our minds to fully comprehend all of these things, uh, but the the Godhead as being a, a trinity is a, a reality, uh, and Jesus is clearly stating here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I am God. Well, first things first, Pantheon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You don't have to throw a big word into every podcast. It doesn't have to start with a P either. <laughs> Pontificate. Pontificate. Pantheon. Pantheon. Oh, man. <laughs> I really, what really stood out to me with Philip is the end of verse eight when he says, and that is enough for us. It's like, that's everything. What do you mean that's enough? Just like, you know, when the sons of thunder had their mommy go up and try to get them the thrones like, Oh, just a small favor left and right side of you. Right. It's like, come on. And here Philip's doing the same thing. He's like, starts almost boldly like, uh, Lord, show us the father. And then he's like, and, uh, that is enough for us. You know, not just me, but all of us are on the same page here. Right. You kind of see the meekness coming in as he realizes what he's saying in this, but it's just funny to me how, they do that, like, oh, that's enough. It's like, that is everything. To see God, 
that is all of it. You know, Alec, when uh, uh, your mom and I would go uh, camping or step out on the porch in the evening and look up into the sky, she could, she could point out uh, constellations and she would look at Cassiopeia and Orion and, and different things that I would just look up and, and go, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I can kind of see that. I don't know. But she could see them. And it was like all the stars to me were just lights in the sky. But to her, they, they had, you know, particular image and there were particular things that were, you know, constellations in themselves. And that's kind of what the disciples are experiencing because it's like looking up into the sky at night and seeing the different stars Jesus had all of his teachings, all of his parables, all of his sermons, all of his miraculous works, but they were just isolated like these stars in the heaven. They were just kind of lights up in the darkness. They didn't really form anything into the disciples' mind. And, and what Jesus is doing is, is trying to gather them into a focus so that he could reveal this distinct image to reveal the invisible God Here's God in flesh. And it's like that when we look up at the stars that's in, in the night and individuals that can do that, they can see that bear and that, uh, that person with his belt and his sword. And I, I don't know, they see things. And that's what Jesus wanted these disciples. They, he said, I want you to use the eye of your spirit. I want to be the true, perfect revealer of God. In fact, the Hebrew writer would say something very similar in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3, describing Jesus as the exact representation of God's nature. Well, how much clearer can that be for those individuals to say the Bible never tells that Jesus is God? It's like, I don't know how much clearer that could possibly be. He is the exact representation of God's character. This is the true, perfect revealer of God. And like Philip is going to say, show us the Father, that's enough. That's exactly right, Kevin. That is exactly enough. That is plenty. And I, I love it, the fact that, that Philip's eyes are finally beginning to open. Just like some of us, our eyes are finally beginning to open. Show us the Father. And Jesus says, okay, follow me. Follow me and you'll see him. Yeah, and these these two questions, you know, from Philip and from Thomas, they're just they're hand in hand and there's a reason that they're recorded in the the way they are cuz if you want to see the father, we have to go through Christ. And it's just now seeing the stars like you said coming into a constellation. All four of these questions together is showing us basically the the purpose of life and what we need to be about here on this earth. And the the name father and you think about your father and the, the physical person of of his being and jesus uses these expressions again and again the father my father your father and this idea of god being a father has this in in inflection or this uh kind of definition built into it this is one who eternally loves one who is showing that love in a way that is beyond above and beyond all we can ask or imagine or think and you think about when you even say the word god when you say the word god and you say let me clarify that you begin with father son holy spirit you begin with father and this idea jesus wants to really push into our mind and say he's much more than a creator, much more than the Almighty, much more than the judge who will destroy those who are wicked. He is your father, and he will provide the care that you need. He has the power and the wisdom and the love to provide this perfection or protection and preservation and guidance, and it leads us into that relationship that the word conveys. The word father conveys a relationship. When I say God, that's different than when I say father because you immediately think of your relationship with him as a child to his father. 
Yeah, and we we see in Jesus' response here, when he's talking about the love of the Father, there's a response on our end as well. I mean, we get the the fatherly love, uh, just like our earthly fathers love us. Uh, we get that love from the Father, but there's some conditions based in that from our response. And the condition is we have the commandments of God through Jesus Christ that he's revealed to us. Our response then is to keep the commandments. Uh, we keep what God has required of us, and then the love of the Father is in us as it is in Jesus, and then it's all been, uh, as Jesus will say, it's it's disclosed to us. Uh, we, if we want to see Jesus, we want to see the Father, we want to see God, it's, it all depends on our obedience uh, to the commandments that he has revealed to us in his word. Uh, and how, how does John describe the word of God in the beginning of John? It is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. I mean, it's like it all kind of ties back into itself and the oneness of the Father with Jesus Christ and the tying in with the word and the commandments and our response to it in following him because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And so then we can do what Peter says. It's like, just tell us how to get there and I'll follow you. It's like, well, he has told us how to get there. And here's the steps. Here's how we get to where Jesus is going. It depends on our obedience to the commandments that we have received from the Father so that his love can be in us. And then that leads to the fourth and final of the questions from the disciples, as A.B. Bruce calls it, of the children's questions. Uh, In my translation, uh, verse uh, 22 of chapter 14, it begins with the word Judas. And then immediately John puts a little parenthetical statement, not Iscariot. (laughs) So there was another Judas down the list of the disciples, and uh, you can look at other translations, and maybe you've heard the the name Thaddeus. Uh, it's possible that that is uh, the same name as Judea, Judas, but not Iscariot. But he says, "Okay, I heard something in one of your responses, and uh, you're going to disclose yourself to us, and not to the world. Why is that? What do you mean?" that we get this exposure, but the world doesn't get this exposure. How is it possible, and what's the reason for it? And so the last half of of chapter 14 is basically in response to that question, the world. There's a difference between the disciples, those followers of Christ, us, the Christians, and the world. There's a distinct difference. Why is it that they don't get it? What's the difference? And that's the question that Jesus will answer next. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a valid question. I mean, Judas is, is sitting here and he's going, this all sounds great. I mean, this is all almost too good to be true. If it's really real, why not just reveal yourself to everybody? Why not just include everybody uh, and not just us? Uh, and it, it kind of shows the spiritual immaturity uh, of him at the moment uh, because Jesus is revealing himself uh, spiritually to everybody. They're just not ready to receive him. They don't understand, and they're not ready to understand, or they have closed their minds or their hearts against Jesus, and so they're not going to receive the blessings and the helper and, and the things that Jesus is promising to reveal to these individuals because their hearts are closed off to it. Uh, and it's not something that Jesus is doing to try to suppress his truth to the world. It's something that the world has already done in trying to suppress Jesus to themselves. And knowing that the, the 11 and are going to be the mouthpiece too. So he is revealing himself to the world, but it's before it's, it's it can get confusing in your mind, right? Cause they're writing this down before Christ goes to the cross and then the new covenant is established, but it is revealing himself to the world because now that it's written down. We know because before that, he revealed it. <laughs> it gets confusing, but that's what he's doing, and it's through these apostles that he's doing that. And the way A.B. Bruce uh, describes Jesus' answer uh, is, if you're going to try to explain to a child 
how a uh, telephone, or in, in this case, in A.B. Bruce's case, it was a, the telegraph, how that works. And to a child, that was meaningless. But the idea of something as technical as a phone to a child. All right. Well, let me, let me show you what happens when we dial this number. You can speak to your grandfather or uh, someone that's far away. And in our case, we get to see their image. We get to see their picture. Well, how does all that work? Well, we have some idea. There's, there's still a mystery about all of it, how it connects to towers and how it's sent across the, uh, the, the span of the United States. And, and it's instantly recognizable as a person that you love and that you know. It's like, well, to a child, let's just take it to the smallest, the easiest way to understand. So Jesus immediately says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Attend to me and, and my children will follow. This is what is really the bottom line of Christianity. The pure in heart, Jesus says, they're going to see God. You want to see God? You want to know him? You want to be there with him? Then do what I ask. Do what I tell you, and then you'll be there. Now, the, the youngest Christian in the pew on Sunday morning, the one that was baptized last week, knows enough to take care of his spiritual condition, enough to be immersed into Christ and to follow the commands of God. Now, what else does he not know? And you think about all the things that a new Christian doesn't know. And it's like, there are so many things, but he knows that much. And that's what Jesus does with his disciples. He says, I, it's going to be difficult to explain this. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I, it, and even today, it's difficult to explain that. But here's how you know someone loves me. They keep my commandments. Yeah, and then we get the, the, you know, the answer to the question, why not the whole world? You know, it's like, well, who is keeping the commandments? Those are the ones that are going to see God. Uh, and so, like you said, it goes down to the base level, the, the most the simplistic understanding of what this means. If you want to follow Jesus, you want to see God, you want to be, have the comfort that only uh, God can give, it's keeping the commandments. Uh, and thankfully, it's a new covenant. Like, like Kevin was saying, there's going to be a new covenant, and there's not very many commandments. I mean, you go back through the old law and there's hundreds upon hundreds of commandments that we'd have to remember and to keep. And it's just proven to be impossible except for one individual, uh, Jesus, that was able to keep them all. Uh, But the commandments that we are required to keep are uh, relatively simple uh, compared. Uh, and so it's it's not like it's some ridiculous thing uh, that is impossible for us to wrap our minds around and to even attempt to try to keep their, their basic, their simple. Uh, even like you said, even a child can understand uh, how to become a Christian. Uh, and then it takes a lifetime of maturing in there. But on on the base level, just keep the commandments. That's that's what you want to do. If you want to see God and you want to have love of God, then keep his commandments. And so that brings it back, the ownership on us. Well, then we better know what the commandments are. I can't keep something that I don't know, and so I better know it. Uh, and so then Jesus goes into a, uh, a discourse on, okay, I'm going to leave you with a helper, and he's going to bring to remembrance everything. And so with the apostles get divinely inspired by God to then record everything that they saw and heard, and then we call it our New Testament. (laughs) And so then we have access uh, to the mind of God uh, through the apostles and their testimony and their eyewitness accounts based off of the Holy Scripture's uh, inspiration. I mean, it's it's just so uh, perfectly balanced uh, in these comforting words that Jesus is giving in answering these questions. This is really where it goes full circle for all the questions because like piggybacking off Alec, what we really have to do, we have to love Jesus. And then we show that love by following his commandments, right? We have to love him. If we just stop there, well, do you love him? Are you showing it? No, right? Now, 
if I'm trying to keep the commandments and I'm not doing it, well, now I'm circling back to our very first question with Peter, right? And I'm having to go through the pain and the suffering to have that resolved to where later on, I continue to love Jesus. I'm continuing to try to keep his commandments. And now I have more resolve to, you know, resist the temptation, resist the devil and stay where I need to be, right? Instead of going along and we can keep this whole circle of questions is basically the entirety of our Christian walk is trying to love God, show it through obeying his commandments, seeking to see God in and the world around us, the creation he made us, asking these questions, wanting to reveal that to the world, and then making mistakes and starting all over again. And so Jesus realizes that he needs to to wrap this up. This is the last evening together. Judas, the betrayer, and Satan and his minions are just about on them. I mean, it's just, they're expected at any moment. And he says, listen, I know I didn't get all this information into your hearts and minds, but I gave it to you in big, broad brush strokes. And I need you to be ready because at any moment it's going to be over. And so this is what I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave two things. I'm going to leave the comforter. He's going to take my place and I'm going to leave my peace. My peace I leave with you. You can have this peace. And it's through faith and this mindset that only is going to follow Christ. That has to be the disciples' first line of defense. Follow me, Jesus says, and this gift will be yours. If you trust me and you go about doing good, And there won't be any need for fear. You won't have to be worried because you know it's coming and you know I've promised this peace to you. And so rather than all this sorrow, rather than all this grief, I want this to be an occasion of joy. And you've heard it here first. (laughs) And it will be something that you'll never forget. And so I want you to have that peace. Yeah, and unfortunately, the the world, and Jesus even says it here, the peace that he gives is not as the world gives, but the world misunderstands this entire uh, premise that Jesus is talking about here. This is not peace as in absence of conflict, uh, where there's going to be no trouble, no hardship, no conflicts, n- nothing, and it's it's world peace. It's like, well, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about the peace of mind in the midst of all of the conflict. Uh, the conflict is going to come regardless. Uh, you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. These things are going to take place. And Jesus is, uh, you know, going towards that himself, physically speaking, to suffer and die. But it's the peace of mind that he's leaving here. The understanding that this world is not it. There is more after. There, there's There's something greater than all the suffering and the hardships that this world has to offer. And as Christians, we can have that peace of mind. Uh, and, you know, we've been through some really severe hardships uh, as a family, and the only thing that kind of gets us through those things are that peace of mind. Uh, you know, if we did not have God, where would we be? I mean, I, we look at I look at people in the world that go through tragedies and hardships and all these other types of things, uh, and they don't have God, and then it's just devastating, uh, and it's just a it's horrible. But you look at those individuals that go through the same types of hardships, and they have a Christian mindset, and they understand this peace of mind that Jesus is talking about here. There's almost like a sense of calm, uh, a sense of understanding there. Yeah, it's it's terrible, it's sad, and there's things that are going to happen. And Jesus is also looking into the future here with these disciples, and none of them make it to old age except John, you know, <laughs> none of them. Uh, they're all going to suffer and, and, and die, and there's going to be terrible hardships, but Jesus is promising them peace, and it's this peace of mind that surpasses understanding, as Paul will uh, explain later in his letters. It's this piece that doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, you look at those people and you go, how are you so peaceful? It's like, well, I have Jesus. 
That's why I'm peaceful. And it's because I know that this world is not my home and I, I've been given a task to do and I'm going to complete the task and I'm going to have the love of the Father. I'm going to be following Jesus because that's what he told me to do. <laughs> I thought you were going to say this world's not my home. Well, I'm just a passing through. Just a passing through. <laughs> I yeah. can't. Every time. Huh? I love that song. And so as, as Jesus has this final discourse with his disciples. He says, first of all, I want you to remember what I just told you because it's looking into the future and when the master of the universe, when the one that can calm the sea, when the one that can heal the leper, when the one that can teach in parables and all that uh, amazing uh, information and all the teachings that were just mind-boggling, he says, I want you to remember that I told you this because when it happens, you'll think, oh, that's right. He told us. And secondly, it's about to happen. So prepare yourselves mentally and physically. And then he says, number three, okay, let's go. Get up and let's go. Now, it's interesting to think that they didn't leave immediately because we have chapters 15 and 16. It's the same discourse, but it's a different stance. It's a different uh, feeling in the room because now instead of comfort, instead of counsel, instead of answering uh, childish, childlike questions, not childish, but childlike questions, Jesus says, okay, there's a whole different tone that's coming. And I, I'm going to spend a little more time at a different level, talking about other things. But right now, let's arise. Let's get up. Because they must have been lounging. They must have been laying around the room and just kind of listening, kind of maybe in a dark part of the chamber or whatever. And now Jesus says, okay, let's stand. And it's kind of like that in our sermons and our, our services when we all say, and let's stand together and sing. And now it's a different type of worship. It's a different feeling. And that's what's going to happen in the next couple of chapters in John, in the next chapter of A.B. Bruce's book. But I love how Jesus does this. First, he says, remember I told you this. And secondly, get ready. It's about to happen. And thirdly, okay, let's do this and let's stand. And so he says, arise, let's go. We leave you with these questions. As you know, it is not enough to know about God. We must know him. What do you need to do to make him your highest priority? Is it possible to see Jesus without really seeing him? Is it possible to know him without really knowing him? How can you experience peace of heart and mind? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study.